My name's John Redmond from First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, and I want to thank you for joining us today on Peace by Believing. And the sermon that we're going to be listening to today is entitled, Is Jesus Who He Claimed to Be? And I hope that it'll be a blessing to you. I have always been fascinated by the legal profession. There's something about courtrooms and judges and juries and trials and attorneys that's very fascinating to me. I guess I developed a fascination with the legal profession back in the 80s when I used to love to watch The People's Court with Judge Wapner. How many of you can remember that show? And we graduated from Judge Wapner to Judge Judy, and now there are a lot of judge shows out there and a lot of crime shows on today. And so I think most of us are familiar with, the, uh, with how the legal system works, at least to some extent. I was reminded a few weeks ago about the legal system when I received a jury summons from Harris County to go down to the uh, courthouse and do my jury duty service. And I had claimed the verse in the Bible. I think we should always claim a verse when we're facing something. I claim that verse, many are called, but few are chosen. And so that's what I was counting. I said, I've been called. I'm going to do my duty, but I pray I won't be chosen. And I wasn't chosen. But just being in that world for a day kind of got me thinking all about that. And so if you know anything about the legal profession, you know whether it's a civil trial or a criminal trial or even a federal case, there has to be a claim that is made at the beginning of the proceedings. In other words, this person says that that person vandalized their property. And that person says this person cheated them out of some money. This family member says that that medicine killed their loved one. Or the state of Texas says this person was driving under the influence. And so a claim is made, and that's how the trial begins. But after the claim is made, there has to be some proof. There has to be some evidence. You can't just make a charge and hope that the jury or the judge will agree with you unless you have some evidence, unless you have some proof. Now, if you'll open your Bibles today to the Gospel of John, chapter number 5, we find that all through the Gospel of John, Jesus is making some incredible claims about Himself. For example, He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Savior of the world. He claimed to be the only way to heaven. He claimed to be the judge whom we must all stand before at the end of time. And so Jesus was making claims about himself that nobody else had ever made. And for me, when I read in my Bible, uh, you know, the words of Jesus, there it is, that, that uh, red ink, I say, if Jesus said it, that's good enough for me. If Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, good enough for me, Jesus said it. If Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, if Jesus said it, I believe it. If Jesus said, I and the Father are one, I believe that. Jesus was saying, I'm not only the Son of God, I'm God the Son. I'm God in the flesh. When Jesus said in John chapter 14, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If Jesus said it, that's good enough for me. I don't have any problem accepting the words of Jesus as true. And yet Jesus knew that in the Old Testament, there was a principle, there was a law, there was a teaching that said, and we read this in Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And so Jesus knew that in a legal setting, 
His word alone was not enough. Now, for me, it's enough. Probably for you, it's enough. But Jesus knew that, strictly speaking, it was not enough. In fact, if you look in John chapter 5 at verse number 31, Jesus said, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, when he said it's not true, he did not mean that it was not accurate. He didn't mean that it was false. He meant that it wasn't valid. In fact, to prove that, turn to John chapter 8. This is important that you see this. In John chapter 8, in verse 14, John 8, 14, Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. So in John 8, Jesus said, my witness is true. Everything I say is truthful. But in John 5, he said, it's not valid. It's not enough. By the the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter is to be established. And so what Jesus did, Jesus said, I'm going to let this Old Testament principle govern how I prove that I'm who I say I am. And so what Jesus did, he began to bring witnesses before the people. And he began to say, don't take my word for it. I'm saying to you, I'm the son of God. I'm saying to you, I'm the savior of the world. I'm saying to you that you can't get to heaven without me, but don't take my word for it. Let others speak on my behalf and see if they don't uh, agree with what I'm saying. And so what I want us to do this morning is use our imaginations. I want us to play like that. We have all been Uh, We've all received a jury duty summons, and we've all shown up, and we have all been chosen to sit on the jury. This is the biggest jury in the history of the world right now. We're all on the jury. And Jesus is the one on trial, and he's on trial for all these claims that he has made about himself. Now, it's interesting with Jesus, he has chosen to be, in this particular case, his own attorney. He represents himself. He's not hiring some powerful attorney, some famous, uh, well-known person. Jesus says, no, I'm on trial. I realize that, but I'll be my own attorney and I'll present my own evidence and I will be the one to bring the witnesses before the jury, before the judge here into this courtroom and I'll interview the witnesses and I'll let them speak. And then at the end of the trial, the jury can make a decision as to whether or not I'm who I claim to be. And so we'll just let this chair today be the witness stand. And we'll let this be the place where Jesus brings his witnesses. And he has chosen to bring in four witnesses. Isn't it interesting? In the Old Testament, it says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter is to be established. Jesus said, I know that law, but I'm going to take it even higher. I'm going to bring in four witnesses. Jesus always went above and beyond what was required. And he said, these four witnesses, I believe, will prove to you that all these claims I've been making about myself are true. And so I would say today, if you're here and you're not a believer yet, maybe you've come from another religious background. Maybe you grew up Buddhist or Hindu, or maybe you grew up Muslim. Maybe you grew up as an atheist. You don't even believe in God, much less Jesus. And today you're not really sure what you think about Jesus Christ. You know these claims he's made about himself that he's the son of God and the savior of the world, but you don't know what you believe about Jesus. I'm just encouraging you today, listen to this case with an open mind. Think about the witnesses that are being brought into this courtroom. And at the end of this uh, trial, you make your own decision as to what you believe. And so here's Jesus as his own attorney representing himself. And he says to the judge, your honor, I would like to bring in my first witness, And my first witness is God the Father. Think about that. That's a pretty strong witness right there. Who are you bringing to trial to speak on your behalf? God. 
I'm bringing God, and he'll be speaking for me. Well, that's what Jesus did. Now, God the Father is the first witness. Look in verse 32. There is another who bears witness of me. See, in verse 31, he said, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not valid. It's not enough. There's another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Now, look in verse 37. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his face, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. And so Jesus is saying, the first witness is the Father, and here's what the Father has done. The Father himself has testified of me. He has agreed that I am his son and that I'm the Savior of the world. Now, you might be wondering today, well, when did God the Father ever do that? When did he ever witness of Jesus or testify of Jesus? Well, do you remember when Jesus was baptized there in that Jordan River where uh, my dad Uh, yesterday baptized, he said, somewhere between 80 and 90 people. Do you remember what happened when Jesus was baptized there? After he came up out of that water, there was a voice from heaven, and that voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so Jesus, at Jesus, the father at Jesus' baptism gave witness to Jesus and said, this is my son. Now, Jesus said to these people, you've never heard the father's voice. So what does that mean? It means they either weren't at the baptism of Jesus or maybe they were there. Maybe they heard his voice with their ears, but they didn't understand it in their heart. The Greek word there for hear is the word akuo. Normally it just means to hear, but sometimes it means to hear with understanding. And so maybe what Jesus was saying is, hey, at my baptism when the father spoke and said that I was his son, you didn't understand what he was saying. And the reason you didn't understand is because you didn't want to understand. You didn't want to be open-minded. You didn't want to consider the fact that I may well be who I've claimed to be. And so you rejected me. And as a result, what he said didn't make sense to you. But nonetheless, God the Father has borne witness, and he has said that I am his son. Now, witness number two is John the Baptist. And so after God the Father leaves the stand, Jesus brings in John the Baptist. And look in verse number thirty. Three, because let's see what Jesus said about John. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. Now, Jesus is saying, John the Baptist has testified that I'm the Son of God, that I'm the Messiah, and that I'm the Savior of the world. He said, now, where did John do that? Well, turn back just a few pages to John chapter number 1. In John chapter number 1, we read about the ministry of John the Baptist. And in verse number 29, notice what John the Baptist said. He said, the next day John, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look down to verse 33. John said, I did not know him. In other words, he was saying, there was a time in my life I didn't understand myself that Jesus was the Messiah. And that's an interesting statement because Jesus and John were cousins. They had grown up together, and yet John the Baptist didn't fully understand who Jesus was. He said, I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, 
this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And so God the Father had spoken to John the Baptist, and he said, John, when you're down there in that Jordan River and you're baptizing all those people, you're going to baptize one named Jesus. And when he comes up out of that water, you're going to notice my spirit in the form of a dove coming and landing on him, and that will be my sign to you that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world. And so John would say to us today on the witness stand, hey, I'll never forget that day. I was baptizing lots of people down there, but when I baptized Jesus, it was different from all the others because when he came up out of that water, the Holy Spirit incarnated in the body of a dove and came and landed on Jesus' shoulder, and I knew beyond the shadow of any doubt that he was the Son of God because also I heard that voice, and the Father bore witness. And so John the Baptist is saying he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so what I'm saying to you today or to any logical thinking person who says, I have a hard time believing the words of Jesus. Friend, it's not just the words of Jesus. It's the testimony of John the Baptist. It's the testimony of God the Father. And then Jesus said, I have another witness. The third witness that Jesus brings forth is his own miracles. Look in verse 36. Witness number three is the miracles of Jesus. John, Jesus said, but I have a greater witness than John's. In other words, as powerful as John the Baptist's testimony is about me, I have something better. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness to me that the Father has sent me. And so the third witness is different from the first two. The first two were people, God the Father, John the Baptist. But on this third witness, Jesus says, as it were, I want all of you as the jury to consider all these miracles that I've been performing. And these miracles that I've been performing, I'm not just doing these so that I can have something to do or even so that I can do a miracle. There's a message behind all of these miracles. Now, turn to the end of John's gospel, chapter number 20, and I want to show you two verses. John chapter 20, let me let you find it, and then we're going to start in verse number 30. Because the miracles that Jesus performed had a purpose, and that purpose was to lead people to faith in Him. And John 20, verse 30, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so Jesus was saying, these miracles that I'm doing are to help you to understand I'm who I claim I am. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Savior of the world. I'm the only way you can get to heaven. In the Gospel of John, there are seven primary miracles. Sometimes you'll hear somebody call these the seven signs in the Gospel of John. And as we're studying through the Gospel, we're studying these signs when we come to those passages. But each one of these miracles was performed to teach us a lesson, to help us to understand something fresh and new about Jesus. For example, in his first miracle, he turned the water into the wine there at a wedding in Cana. What's the purpose of that? The purpose of that miracle was to demonstrate to us that Jesus has the power to transform human lives. He's in the transformation business. He took that water that was not safe to drink on its own. That's why they even drank wine back in New Testament times because the water was, was polluted and contaminated. And so they would mix some wine in there and it purified the water. But the greater lesson of that was 
that Jesus can transform our lives. The second miracle we read about in John chapter 4, there was a high-ranking official who lived in Capernaum. He was a nobleman, and his son was very, very sick, and even at the point of death. So he came to Jesus, and he explained that to Jesus. He said, Jesus, would you please come with me to Capernaum and heal my son? And Jesus, in essence, said to him, I don't have to travel to Capernaum to heal your son. Let me speak the word. And when I speak the word, your son will be healed. Jesus spoke the word, and that young man's son was healed. What was Jesus teaching in that lesson? He was teaching that there's power in his word. Jesus didn't have to travel to the house where that fellow was. He just spoke the word, and he was healed. And so every miracle has a message. There's something behind it. The, in John chapter 5, we read about the third miracle. The, man, the lame, paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda there in Jerusalem. He had been paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus goes to him, and Jesus says, rise, take up your mat, and walk. And he did, and he was healed. What's the purpose of that? The purpose of that miracle is to say that Jesus has the power to change people's lives. And today, no matter what may be going on in your life, how bad it may be, or how long you may have been going through this, this man was like that for 38 years. I believe the reason the Bible says he was like that for 38 years was to say to us, sometimes in life you get in a mess or a situation and things are so bad, and you say, it's just always going to be this way. Let me tell you something, friend. It takes one touch from Jesus. Everything changes. Behind every miracle, there's a message. The fourth miracle in the Gospel of John, we'll come to it next Sunday morning in John chapter 6, where Jesus fed the multitude with five pieces of bread and two fish. What's the purpose of that? Jesus was teaching those people that He is the bread of life and that He is the only one who can satisfy that hole in all of our hearts. It's a tremendous message. After that, the next miracle, Jesus walked on that water in the, on the, across the Sea of Galilee. There are those disciples out there in a storm. Scared to death, thinking they're going to drown, and they look up, and here's Jesus walking, walking on top of that water. What's the purpose of that miracle? To demonstrate to us, to prove to us that Jesus Christ is in control of everything in our lives. He's in control of nature. He's in control of our health, our circumstances, our finances, our families, our futures. He has everything under control. You see, they were scared about those waves. These waves are going to take us down. Jesus came walking them on top of those waves. Think about this. Those waves that were over their head, were under his feet. And Jesus was saying, the thing you're worried most about is not anything to me. And I'm going to walk to you across those waves, and I'm going to use those waves to bring me closer to you. So every miracle has a message. The sixth miracle in John's gospel is in John chapter 9. Jesus healed a man who had been born blind. Now what's the purpose of that? To say to us that Jesus is the light of of the world. And if we follow him, we'll walk in light and not be in the darkness. And then the final major sign or miracle was when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, the point of that is obvious. Jesus has power over death. And so in this courtroom, Jesus, who's representing himself, says to us as the journey, as the jury, use your brain. Yes, I'm making some awesome claims about myself, that I'm the Son of God, that I'm the Savior of the world, that I'm the giver and sustainer of life. I'm the only way to heaven, and I'm the judge to whom you must one day give an account. But it's not just me who's saying these things. Jesus says, think about these miracles. Think about all these things I've been doing. Who could do these things if God were not with him? Who could do these things if he weren't God himself, God in the flesh? And so the miracles of Jesus witness to the fact that he is who he says he is. And then witness number four. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but this, this trial... If I were on the jury of this trial, I would say we don't even need witness number four. I'm, I'm convinced already. 
I mean, you've brought in God the Father, you've brought in John the Baptist, you've taught us about your miracles. Jesus said, yeah, I know you're convinced, John, but there may be some others who need this fourth witness. And we would say, Jesus, what's witness number four? The Scriptures. The Word of God, Jesus would say. He would say, I know this fourth witness is not a person per se, like witness one and two. I think Jesus would take the Bible and he would sit the Bible on the witness stand and Jesus would say, the Scriptures themselves bear witness to me that I am the Son of God and that I am the Savior of the world. You know, the Bible is an amazing book. It's the most amazing book that's ever been written. I think sometimes people who are not Christians, they just think that the Bible is our holy book, just like the Koran is the Muslim's holy book, or like some other book is some other religious group's holy book, and they just think all these holy books are the same. Friend, let me tell you something. There's no book in the world like the Bible. There's no book in the world like the Bible. Think about this. The Bible was written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,600 years in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. But there's just one message. Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. You see these other holy books, what happened? Well, what really happened was a man went away by himself, maybe into a cave or maybe into some other place, and he had what he thought was a word of inspiration or a word of knowledge, and so he wrote out this book, and he came out, and he held up the book, and he said, this book is the Word of God. But what, did you, what does the Scripture say? The Scripture said, by the mouth of two or three witnesses shall the matter be established. Now, see, the Bible, it's not just like one person went in the cave and came out and said, this is the Word of God. It's 40 authors, 1,600 years, three languages, three continents, one message. The Bible is the only book in the world that proves itself. The Bible in the Old Testament has prophecies, predictions about the coming of Jesus. And when Jesus came, those prophecies were all fulfilled. Now, there's not another book in the world like that. Here you have these other books. They go and write it, and they come out and say, this is the Word of God. But it doesn't validate itself like the Bible. This book validates itself. For example, Jesus would say, hey... Remember what Isaiah said 700 years before I was born. Isaiah said that the Messiah, the Son of God, would be born of a virgin. I was born of a virgin. Remember what Micah said hundreds of years before I was born. He said that I would be born in Bethlehem. I was born in Bethlehem. The Bible proves itself. What does it say in Samuel? It says that I would be a descendant of David. Who am I? I'm a descendant of David. Now, that's just what Jesus could have used when he was teaching in John chapter 5. But since that time, Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again, he went back to heaven. Think about the other prophecies. I'm not going to read all of them, but just some that, have, that the Bible has proven itself. It says one day that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. What did Jesus do on Palm Sunday? He entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That's in Zechariah. It says in the Psalms he would be rejected by his people. It says in another place, he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. It says that he would be betrayed by a friend, that he would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, that he would be crucified, that not one of his bones would be broken, that he would commit his spirit to the Father, that he would be raised from the dead. These are prophecies made about Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus was born, and they have all come to pass. It's interesting, in Psalm 22... The psalmist there is describing the death of the Messiah, and he is describing a crucifixion scene. 
Now, what makes that interesting is when the psalmist was describing a crucifixion scene, crucifixion had not even been invented yet. Nobody had ever been crucified yet. Crucifixion was created hundreds of years after that. And yet the Bible foreshadowed, predicted, prophesied, one day the Messiah will be crucified. And all these prophecies have come to pass. And so Jesus would say to us today as a jury, yes, I'm making awesome and amazing claims about myself, but it's not just me. The Father says that what I'm saying is true. John the Baptist says what I'm saying is true. My miracles prove what I'm saying is true. And the Scriptures demonstrate that what I'm saying is true. I'm the Son of God, and I'm the Savior of the world. Well, we're going to stop there for today. The Bible says, By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And Jesus brought four witnesses into that courtroom. He brought in God the Father, John the Baptist. He brought in his own miracles, and then he brought in the Scriptures themselves to prove that he is the Son of God. If you've never received him as Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to do so. Get involved in a good church. Put Jesus first in your life, and he'll lead you all the way.